Good morning, everyone. I welcome you here to Berean Calvary Chapel on this Resurrection Sunday. And uh, a couple announcements that I need to make. Uh, I know there are a number of you who have ordered the book, uh, my book, the uh, Revelation, Book of Revelation Made Plain and Clear. You signed up for it, and I didn't order them because of this coronavirus. Because if they came here, I would just have to repackage and ship them to you. So I would encourage you, if you sign up for a book, to just go to uh, the website, and it tells you exactly how to order the book, and then it will come right to your house. Also, um, I want you to know that Pastor Frank Jr. and I, we really miss every one of you guys. In fact, we look around at these empty seats, and we see you. We see your faces. We know where you sit. And uh, so I can't wait until we're all together physically again. And also, as I mentioned before, you, you don't want to forget your tithes and offerings. You can send them in, or you can make your contribution through our Facebook or through our um, webpage, because we need to keep the operation of the church going. And um, we also want you to check out the Tuesday night women's Bible study and our normal Wednesday Bible study. If you go on to our website, you can actually download the outlines for both. You can print them or however you want to do it electronically. And that way you can know ahead what we're going to be talking about because both studies are discussion studies. And uh, also we're going to be sharing communion this morning. And as we mentioned in a flock note we sent out, if you didn't receive it, maybe you can kind of uh, scramble and try to get it together. So if you could put some unleavened bread, pita bread, or something like that uh, together with some juice. And uh, at the end of the service, we will share communion together on this, the Lord's Day. And so those are all the announcements that I have to make. And so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And our salvation, Lord, goes much deeper than just the forgiveness of sin but it's also the assurance of being with you for all eternity. And Father, the greatest dream, desire that any of us can have is to be with you, to be in fellowship with you, literal, intimate fellowship with you forever and ever. And so, Lord, as we prepare to share this Easter uh, Sunday morning message, I ask for your anointing and also to just touch the ears of everyone who will be listening, that the words that... I share with them, which is your word, might really enter their, not only their ears, but also their heart and souls. So now come and use and anoint me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I'm going to give you time um, to open your Bibles. Uh, I hope every one of you have them right with you. And open your Bible to Matthew 28, and we'll be picking right up with verse 1. Because we're going to be looking into a supernatural event that was accomplished by the hand of God on the day that we call Easter. So we're in Matthew 28 and starting with verse 1. Matthew 28, 1. Now after the Sabbath, this would have been the weekly Sabbath, as the first day of the week began uh, to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. Now, the stone wasn't rolled back to allow Jesus to come out. He was already out. It was rolled back to allow the women to go in 
for proof that he'd risen from the dead. Verse 3, his countenance, this is the angel, was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus, whom was crucified. Listen to this. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. The greatest event in human history for the salvation of sinners and was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, 58% of church attenders in the United States do not believe in the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? 30% of those who claim to be born-again Christians do not believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, they say, well, we're born-again Christians, but we believe it was kind of a spiritual thing. His spirit came out of the tomb. No, he literally, physically raised from the dead. And only 42% of Americans that were polled believe that the resurrection for, of Jesus Christ is the reason we celebrate Easter. Isn't that amazing? Now, for most of us, we as believers, the belief in the resurrection uh, is without question central to our faith. But for many, even those who claim to be Christians, uh, they do not believe in the literal resurrection. And we're going to find uh, that the resurrection is not only central to our faith, but there is so much historical and biblical proof that it did occur. As a matter of fact, we know from studying Scripture that when Jesus ascended into heaven after he arose from the dead, there were 500 people at one time that watched him rise from the dead. There are more historical proofs that Jesus rose from the dead, including the writings of Josephus and many others, then Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. That's a fact. There are more eyewitnesses. Now, the resurrection is, of course, essential to our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 19, so if you'd like to turn to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and go to verse 12, and we'll be looking at 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Listen, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He raised Jesus Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not, do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, this li if in this life only we have hope in Christ... We're of all men the most pitiable. You see, the resurrection is not part of our faith. We're Christians, so part of our faith is the resurrection. No, the resurrection is central to our faith. If we do not believe in the resurrection, then we have no hope. We have no forgiveness of sin, is what this portion is telling us. So we are all sinners. And if there is no God, as some people would claim... 
and there's no foundation for the moral values that people seem to have, then why do we feel guilt over sin? We do feel guilt over sin. I remember even before I was saved, I, I, I felt so guilty over different things that I had done. And why would that be? It's because there is a Holy Spirit in this world that convicts the hearts of men of sin. And to feel guilty over sin brings us to a place where we want to find some kind of relief. And can you imagine how hopeless life would be if there were actually no relief from the guilt of sin? How horrible it would be. But how many sins are there, even among some of us, some of we believers, that no one knows about? But the fact is, it would be a burden and just a feeling of hopelessness if there is no solution to the guilt that we're feeling. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus and through his resurrection and ascension, we have absolute forgiveness of sin. You know, in uh, the First John, and of course many of you who attend here, you, you know exactly the verse I'm going to be using. It's my favorite verse. But in First John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we say that um, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So verse 8 is saying, if we're going around saying, I don't have any sin, I'm a, I'm a good person, I don't sin, we're liars. Every one of us know that we sin. But then in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the essential ingredient to, con- uh, to having forgiveness of sin is confession. And confession isn't just saying, you know, oh, I did it. Confession is in your heart when you're actually realizing, I sinned and I know I've sinned. God forgive me. That's confession. Now, if you want to turn to Matthew 16:21, can you imagine the hopelessness, brothers and sisters, if there was no forgiveness for sin? In Matthew 16:21, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to show uh, his, show to his disciples. Listen, that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and, listen, be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus made it very clear to his disciples even before they went into Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified and he was going to rise in the third day. He made it clear. And, of course, that is a a hope that you and I have to hang on to as well. Now, notice the two significant points that Jesus was making. To his disciples. First, his blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And secondly, that he would rise from the dead to bring eternal life and a future and a hope to all who accept this intercessory sacrifice. What a promise. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, And according to law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So people say, why did Jesus have to die? He had to die as the Lamb of God, which was testified to by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to die as that Lamb, his blood needed to be shed so that the remission of our sins would be accomplished. 
Without the shedding of blood, this portion is telling us in Hebrew, there is no remission of sin. So Jesus had to die. And we have to realize what faith that took on his part because he was fully God and fully man. And in love, he was willing to allow his precious blood to be shed so that our sins might be cleansed. But it's also telling us he had to rise from the dead. Why is that? To also give and bring to us eternal life. You see, in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made for sin, if someone who brought their sin sacrifice to the priest and, it, and, and the sacrifice was slaughtered and they would take the meat and they would put it on uh, you know, the golden altar and, and burn it up as a sweet aroma to God and then they would take the, the carcass out into the Kidron Valley and throw it as a waste. Well, when that sacrifice was done, you had that forgiveness of sin at that moment because the blood sacrifice was made. But the minute that person turned around and went out the door and sinned again, all the guilt was back on them because the sacrifice was dead. The sacrifice was once. But with Jesus Christ, his one-time sacrifice is eternal because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And his resurrection is the assurance that we also will be raised again, that we also will have eternal life. You know, um, the resurrection is the proof and assurance of our resurrection as well. And so now I'm going to take you to some scriptures. Have your Bibles open. And we're going to be looking first at a portion from Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. And then we're going to be mostly in 1 Corinthians 15, although we will take one short sidebar on to 1 Thessalonians 4. But let's start off with Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So you have to remember that when Satan... Um, when, when the Lord said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the center of the garden, but, or any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat of the tree in the center of, of the garden. You know, the center of the garden was the, the, the tree of life, the tree of truth. And remember, Satan tempted them and said, you won't surely die. You eat of that tree and you'll know, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And so... Eve went and she ate of the fruit and she gave it to her husband. He also ate. And at that moment, they didn't die physically. See, Satan was tricking them. When God said, you shall surely die, it doesn't mean at that moment instantly, but they would have a lifespan and die, which was not his intent from the beginning. And so they ate of the fruit. And of course, they were driven out of the garden. We know the whole account. But in Jesus Christ, through his blood... And through us accepting his gift of salvation, we in that sense enter back into the garden. And even though we have to go through physical death, his promise of resurrection also gives us eternal life. That was God's desire from the beginning, was to have intimate fellowship with his special creation man for all eternity. And of course, God being God, being completely omnipotent, he knew what would happen. 
That's why it tells us in Scripture, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. God had a plan even before the fall of man. And that plan was that through Jesus Christ, you and I might be brought back into intimate fellowship with him. Now, the resurrection then is proof and also the assurance that we have eternal life. Without the shedding of blood, it says there's no remission of sin in this portion of um, Hebrews. And um, now, what I'd like you to do is turn to Romans uh, 5, go to verse 18. Verse 18 of Romans 5, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. It's talking about Adam resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, talking about Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Listen, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And I love that. Because if you notice, when it talks about through the one man, um, Adam, and his fall. And it, it, the fact is that it resulted in us becoming sinners. But in 19, when it talks about through one man's obedience, many uh, were made, um, you know, are going to be made righteous. It's in a future tense. By his obedience, we're going to be made righteous. In other words, while we're walking in this world, we have the righteousness of God in us because we have been born again of the Spirit, and because we're willing to confess our sin and confess our need for the Lord. But there is a time coming when you and I are going to receive resurrected bodies where we won't even know how to sin. To me, that's one of the greatest parts of heaven, to not even know how to sin. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, go to verse 20, and... um, Keep your finger in in 1 Corinthians 15. We're we're going to spend a lot of time there. But in 1 Corinthians 15, if you go to verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, um, and so even in Christ all shall be made alive. See, the first Adam disobeyed, which brought death. The second Adam obeyed God. Not my will, but yours be done, and he brought life. And this brings us to the hope of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 along with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up with verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, in other words, have died physically, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, in other words, those who have died. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the souls of those that are with Jesus right now, when it's time for the rapture to to come, Their souls will come with Jesus into the clouds. And then verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who also sleep. So in other words, those bodies that are in the ground will be raised up, glorified to meet their souls, you know, the, the essence of who they are in the air to be with Jesus. And some people will say, well, what about uh, a person who was burnt with fire? What about a person who was cremated? Or what about a person who was eaten by a whale and, and this and that? The fact is, we are a digital map of information. Our DNA is what determines exactly who we are. And God knows us. He knew us from before the foundation of the world was laid. So no matter what has happened to our bodies, God is able to raise them up glorified in him. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Listen, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we are we who all, who are all I'm sorry then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds in other words the dead in Christ rise first we're going to be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words and what comfort it is i mean if we think this life is all there is how sad is that but this isn't it the life we live in Christ right now is just preparing us for the life to come. You know, everyone is so concerned about the coronavirus and everything that's going on in the world and so forth, and it is something to be concerned about. But here's the thing, for you and I as believers, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with us except that it's fulfilling prophecy. What we have to realize is that our hope is in Jesus Christ. When we see all these things beginning to happen, it just shows the nearness of the resurrection, the very thing we're talking about. Because when we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to remember it's not just looking back at his resurrection. It's also looking forward to our resurrection. He's called the first fruit from the dead. Well, what does that mean? There's a second fruit. That's us. And so one day, and possibly very soon, you know, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, so many people think, well, that's so crazy. That's just so out of the realm of possibility. And yet so many people believe all kinds of stories and conspiracies and everything else that seem extra, extraordinary. And that, though, I really believe that. Well, I'll tell you why. There is a, a, a theory you can believe. It's called resurrection. Because it's no longer a theory. We have to understand there's irreversible proof that it actually happened. The proof that Jesus rose from the dead is so obvious historically and in every other way. Now go to 15 again. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to go to verse 35. I'm going to read verses 35 through 38. And then verses 42 through 45. And I love this portion because it really answers the fact. It starts off uh, right off by, it says this, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? Isn't that the question so many have? How are the dead raised up? Look what it says. And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and each seed its own body. So also in the resurrection of the dead, 
The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And see, the importance of that is anything that is sown in corruption dies. You know, we're dying every day. I mean, anything you see around you, it's sown in corruption. It'll die. But then it says um, we're going to be raised incorruptible. We don't die. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. It is risen in glory. We won't even know how to sin. It is sown in weakness. We have frailties. We're, we're sensitive to illness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And that's important to take notice of. It doesn't say it's, raised, you know, it's, it's sown a natural body and it's raised a spirit. It's raised a spiritual body, sume. It's, we literally will have some form or some body. The scripture says we will know and be known. In other words, we're going to recognize one another. Jesus had a resurrected body, and so we also will have one as well. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus Christ brings life to all who have him, his Holy Spirit, in their heart, in their cardiac, in their inner man. Now go to uh, chapter 15, verse 51. Verse 51 of chapter 15. And it really explains it. 1551, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, in other words, die physically, but we shall all be changed. That's interesting. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now notice, because many people misunderstand this uh, portion, it doesn't say we're going to be raptured in the twinkling of an eye. It says we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In the twinkling of of an eye, we're going to have these corruptible bodies, and boom, in one ten-thousandth of a second, we're going to have these glorified bodies. So it's not going to be like some kind of change taking place. It's going to be instant. Then verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is our enemy. It separates us from those we love. Death is a fear that can cause people to do many things that are contrary to what God would have us do. But death has been swallowed up in victory. You and I as believers, brothers and sisters, we have no fear of death. We shouldn't. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You know, the coronavirus, you know, it's a a real thing. I don't think it's necessarily what they're making it out to be, but it's a real thing. But the fact is, as believers, what do we have to fear? For me to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. Now, verse 55. I love this portion. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now listen to this. You should have this underlined and circled and everything else in your Bible. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have the victory, not of our own accord, not because of anything we've done, but through Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we have this victory, therefore, my beloved brethren, listen, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Your labor is, uh, is not in vain in the Lord. And so we're going through a strange time brothers and sisters, none of us in our lifetime, I'm 75, I never remember anything like this, where you have schools closed and, and all these precautions uh, taking place. To me, it is just a sign of the times in which we're living in. And so we have to understand, probably not too far in the future, we'll all be able to be gathered together in, in limited uh, amounts with certain amounts of uh, social distancing and all of that stuff that's being you know, laid out there. But we have to realize that we need to be steadfast in the Lord. There's nothing we have to fear. Nothing we have to fear. In fact, it's interesting. Roosevelt made the statement, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And I think during a time like this, it has new meaning. I think so much of our response and so much of the response of the people of this country is based on the fear of fear. There's not, they, they fear the fear of this happening or that happening, of getting sick or, or whatever. But we have nothing to fear. If we belong to Jesus Christ, which we do as believers, we have nothing to fear. What can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen to us? We die and go to be with the Lord? That's the worst thing? Eh, I don't think so. You know, I was telling my wife the other day, if we really had real faith, you know, and someone called and said, oh, you know, brother so-and-so died, we'd be, oh, praise God, hallelujah. I mean, I understand it's a, it's, it's a normal thing to sorrow over the death of someone we love. Even Jesus wept over the death of someone he loved. But Jesus also knew he was going to raise him from the dead. That's a, the account we have of Lazarus. He wept at his physical death, but then he praised God at his resurrection. And so even though we might weep over the death of someone we love, we can also rejoice in their resurrection. We'll be together with the Lord forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Listen, knowing that he, that he raised up the Lord Jesus, let me start over again, I'm sorry, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. So he who raised the Lord Jesus up will also raise us up with Jesus, and we will be present with him and with one another. I love it that it says we'll know and be known. When we get to heaven, we're not going to look around and say, gee, some of you guys look familiar. We'll know one another and maybe know one another more intimately than we ever have because it will be completely spiritual. And so no, no wonder the resurrection for all believers should be hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when we think of Easter, we think of Resurrection Sunday, I like to call it. It is a time of hope. It's a time of joy. I mean, we have some family traditions that we are involved in that are kind of fun, you know, and this and that, like we're going to have some rack of lamb later. Mm -mm. We have those kinds of family traditions, and they're, they're great. But the fact is, the reality of this day is he has risen. 
And because Jesus Christ has risen according to everything we just studied, we're also going to rise. We're going to be with him. If we're alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together with those who have already died. But we're all going to be together with the Lord again. So when you think of all those that have gone on ahead of you that you love, we're all going to be together again with no separation, no fear of death. How amazing is that? It's absolutely amazing. But we have to understand that this gift of salvation, like any gift, has to be received. Let me give you a silly example. Let's say I drove up in front of your house with a brand-new 2020 Porsche. You know, one of those little hot two-seater types has all the, you know, all the bells and whistles. It has everything. I pull up in front of your house with the Porsche. I leave the keys in it, and I get out of it, and I say to you, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. It's free. It's yours. And I walk away. Well, guess what? That Porsche is only yours when you're willing to get in the driver's seat, start it up, and go. Jesus offered a free gift of salvation to anyone who would believe. And so there it is. The free gift of salvation is laid out to all mankind. It's there. And all we have to do is receive it. Receive that gift. Brothers and sisters, it's so simple to become a Christian. I think most of us recognize we're sinners. So it's going to Jesus and it's saying, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Take my sin away by the sacrifice of your blood on the cross. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you would come into my heart and you would fill me and give me the hope and assurance of a resurrection. And Lord, then I give my life to you. Use me as long as I have breath. That's how simple salvation is. You know, so many people think it's a bunch of rituals and you know memory verses and everything else they have to do it's simply confessing you're a sinner asking god's forgiveness and receiving his holy spirit to lead your life you do that brothers and sisters it's that easy that simple you are a born-again christian not of the flesh but of the spirit and i encourage you to do so and so i hope every one of you has a wonderful resurrection sunday i hope you enjoy your family all the good food and everything else. But now, before we leave, we're going to take communion together, as I mentioned last week. And I hope all of you have gotten a little juice and some bread. And it's interesting because it was just before Jesus was crucified when he met in the upper room with his disciples. And he said to them, he said, this juice represents my blood. It's going to be shed for you. And this represents my body that's going to be given for you. And so when Jesus Christ introduced what we call the first communion, he was introducing to his disciples a sacrament that they could take part of that represented everything he was doing for us. His body was going to be beaten. He was going to die. His blood was going to be shed for no other reason in love that he might bring us back into relationship with him. And he gave this command he said, as often as you come together, he said, and you eat this bread and you drink this juice, this fruit of the vine, do it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of all he has done. And then he made another promise that he would not partake in this communion again with us until we partake it with him in heaven. Can you imagine that communion Sunday or that communion day when we're with the Lord in heaven and he is the one who administers the communion? How wonderful. And so, brothers and sisters, 
as people who love Jesus Christ, remember his body was shed, his blood was his body was broken, his blood was shed for us. And so take and eat and drink in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you for the sacrament of communion, for all that it brings to our heart, all that it causes us to remember on this Resurrection Sunday. You did it all, Lord. We did nothing. All we have to do is accept it. You did it all. So now come, Lord, and fill our hearts with your love and purpose and use us to minister to this lost world around us. And during this time of coronavirus and fears that people are going through, let us not be perpetuators of that fear, but let us be those who bring hope and encouragement. And now we commit this time in our life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.